Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Uh, first thing we're going to be talking about is little faiths. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to throw it over to Chris Sherrod, starting us off. Chris, can you tell just tell us kind of what about little faiths? I'm doing air quotes right now. And yeah. kind of uh, where that is in the Bible and, and what we can think about that. With all this on, our, on my mind since we're meeting each week to talk about it, I was just thinking about <clears throat> what's Jesus' attitude towards people who doubt. Um, in Jude, it even talks about in verse 22, uh, to have mercy on those who doubt. And we mentioned before how when John the Baptist was doubting, Jesus didn't scold him, right? Um, but pointed to evidence. And um, I love when the father of the boy that was possessed said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah, exactly. It's just such a, because I feel a favorite like that. prayer. Yeah, I just feel like that so often. But mainly in Matthew, there's a phrase he uses. Um, our translations call it, oh, you of little faith. But in the original language, it's just one word, little faiths. Mm-hmm. It's, um, what was? You oh, said, I'm, ol- not, oligo- I'm not the pronunciation guy, but okay. olig- um, oligopastoi. Yeah, because the oliga, whatever that is, was mm-hmm. the small mm-hmm. or little and then pistis is the, the word it's for faith. faith. So just, again, he so many times he was talking to, well, it starts with the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about why are you worrying? Oh, right. you have a little faith. And then, which is something we all relate to. Um, but even the disciples and their lack of faith, or Peter, when he gets after his amazing act of faith, walking on the water with Jesus, and then he sinks. Jesus actually said, why did you doubt? Right. But it wasn't a rebuke, because again, we forget that none of the disciples got out of the boat. Yep, none but him. Um, but it's just, it was a great question. So think through, why did you doubt? Yep. Um, and so as people, I think there's some people that are really, mm. feel really guilty about doubt. And we've talked about that before, doubt is good it, if you're actually looking for answers. But just the, even the phrase, oh, you little faiths, I just found that almost encouraging, like that he's not... He's not just going, you're so worthless. It's almost like this pet, right. pet right. phrase for them. Yes, Like, yes. oh, you little face. Um, <laughs> but again, I think that was just on my mind about mm-hmm. as people are reconstructing their faith or even deconstructing that so much, if you were raised that way, you feel so guilty. Yep. Like, oh my goodness, I'm doubting. And we've tackled so many things in here like, well, maybe that's actually was a straw man belief anyways or a yeah. tradition. But to embrace it and to go, okay, let's really walk through this. And again, as we've said many times, but then what are you replacing it with? Which we're going to get there oh, yeah. and start walking down. So what are the reasons to believe in all these um, claims of Christianity? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's, I, I love the fact that this this terminology, he's speaking to his, typically his apostles, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the three or the 12 or the, and so clearly he doesn't mean it as like, I'm done with you. You right. failed. You're, I'm, you know, you didn't pass the test. You, I mean, these are his guys, and, mm-hmm, right. and he's still with them. I mean, the first time he does it is in Matthew six. The last time he does it is in Matthew seventeen. 
I mean, he didn't abandon them in those mm-hmm. eleven chapters, right? right. It's it's right. a yeah. I I totally think that this is a little, you know, maybe maybe guy maybe girls get this too. I don't know since I'm not a girl, but as guys, like if if you have a leader and have a of a group of guys and and he's got some nickname for it, like this is a little gentle thump on the head, uh-huh. you know, like come on guys, all right, get it together, okay, little faiths, yeah. that's a little yeah, and. uh yeah, I don't. I don't even think. I don't get the impression that they're offended by it. I don't get the impression that he means it offensively. It mm-hmm. is. It is. Um, man, you you guys crack me up, little face. <laughs> Remember when I would teach through John, and I kept using the. There's that statue. Yes. Uh, that's called Jesus wept. Uh huh. But it looks more like Jesus is doing a face, face palm, palm than we. Yeah, did. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I kept using that, and it just says guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt that very strongly. That. And and I would, I can totally identify with it. If I'd been following Jesus around too, how many times he, he the questions that I asked reading scripture, he would be going, oh, oh I mean, okay, come on in. But um, I do think there's an affection in it. I, th- I think we see that multiple times when he does that with them and with other people, you know, too. I think his mm-hmm. little, you know, we call it the the what woman when he calls his mom that when he's mm-hmm. like woman. And and I, I don't think it's the we we modernize it, and I don't think it's I think it's purely affection uh-huh. but um yeah anyway that's it that's a good one and we don't need to be afraid of doubting mm-hmm. that's what i think is the key is it is it doubt in and of itself is not something we have to be afraid of god's not afraid of <coughs> sorry about that the um that we can say no we we wrestle with little faith and god chose a whole bunch of people with little faith and that's what he built his church on was a bunch of little faiths and we can identify with that. On our first trip to Israel, the phrase that Marty kept using that I really liked uh, was how my faith leaks out my eyes. And what he would talk about is, like I would say I have faith. I believe God's faithful, God's going to whatever. But then yeah. when I look at my circumstances with my eyes, my faith leaks out my eyes. And so I just mm-hmm. like that reminder <laughs> that I need, what he said was I need, what do you say? clay for my eyes. I yeah, mean, exactly. Whatever it is, but the point is, I so many times yeah. I just go by what I can see mm-hmm. and then my faith goes sometimes too. Which again, it's not blind faith, but it's just right. how I'm looking or feeling or something really hard hit me and then uh-huh. right. it's yeah. hard to, to figure. Because it's always easier when it's not happening to you. Yeah, You either see, see clearly in your mind uh-huh. right, and you've got an answer or word to say, but when it's when it is happening to you, it's oh my right. gosh, so much harder. Yes. It's like a game. When someone is trying to come up with a word or answer a question, you're sitting there going, "Oh, I know. How can they not?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when it's your turn, yeah. you uh-huh. freeze and you're like, "Yes, yeah. I got nothing." Yeah, but you're exactly what, right. That's what Job's friends dealt with. I mean, right. they were looking at his life, going, "Well, clearly, we right. can see that you've got some major, uh-huh. or even just the basic assumption of when the man born blind is it John twelve? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, what did he do? Yeah, the disciples' yeah. immediate question was, who sent oh, who that's right. him or his parents? Right. And I think that Christians don't like to admit that we believe, mm-hmm. that a lot of us believe in the law of karma. Yeah. But that's actually, it's not a biblical concept that your suffering is always in proportion to your behavior. Right. But we believe that because if something bad happens, we either think, this must be because of something I've done. Right. Or we think, I don't deserve this because I've been doing great. Uh-huh. Because right. we've always got to have an answer. We just naturally do that. Yeah. And, and I would I would love to continue that conversation then with, with suffering because I, I know that 
look at, you know, in the face of suffering, mm-hmm. it's when you really come to grips with, okay, what do I believe? And I think a lot of people deal who are deconstructing have yeah. looked at that and seen like, okay, well, I'm deconstructing what I thought God was because I thought God was only going to give me really good things and right. not give me this bad diagnosis or uh, this relationship wasn't going to fail or whatever. And so in the face of that suffering, then they're confronted with the what they thought yes. was wrong or, you know, what they thought was right was wrong um, that or is, they were that mistaken. Is, and so I can we sure. can we talk kind of more about suffering we, we've definitely it's john nine by the way just in case somebody's oh, looking up nine. yeah um Sorry. and so which is a great yeah it's a great passage um because because jesus kind of again i guess gently kind of slaps, yeah. slaps down their easy answer like huh. no there's not an easy answer here it's a it's it's so i'll be glorified today oh yeah you will see god's glory today and uh and again which isn't any easier an answer by the way we're going to get there is that is that the, as we were talking about pain and suffering, as a which we started talking about a few, I think it may be now a couple of uh, episodes ago, it is a main one, and I think that's natural. Is that people personalize their faith? It takes a while for some people to personalize their faith, and some people never do. They never, they never develop a strong sense of like what I believe and why, mm-hmm. and what uh-huh. I hold to, and what are my what are the things I hold on to. That's one, but. But then it's it's kind of like what Jesus talked about building a, a house on sand. That parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 7 about building houses on sand, two men building houses on sand, they both built houses. Yeah. And and both of them were fine. I mean, the, the guy built a house on sand, another guy built it on rock. No problems. We're all good. See? No problems. Until the storm hits. Yeah. Yep. And both houses are fine until a storm hits. And I think sometimes when we kind of create God in our image – and I feel like this is a theme we'll come back to with a, a heading like reconstructed faith is so often what gets blasted was not built on the right thing in the first place. The house that collapses wasn't built on the right thing. That doesn't mean you're done. And as, as a, you know, I think some people, probably most people who listen at this point, but maybe not, is that, you know, my training is less in theology and more in therapy. Uh-huh. Um, and, and And so where I see this so often is, Yes, I see it in the church, but very often when I see it in the church, the next place I see it is in the counseling office or, or, or in the mm-hmm. pastor's office or something because all of a sudden there is pain in the world becoming I am in pain is, is just a different, it's such a different experience. Yeah. And grief, grief is by definition living with a new normal. So grief means. And so when people say, uh, you know, we always see that as a nation, like it's it's a people don't fly airplanes in the buildings. That's not something people do. I mean, they've there have been suicide bombers all over the world for a long, long time, and yet America had not really experienced yeah. it in a, an extreme way. And suddenly we did, and suddenly the world was a very different place, and everyone had to get used to the new normal. Yeah. And if you can't get used to the new normal, you fall apart. And if and so much that's what grieving is is getting used to the new normal. This is another series of articles we can link to yeah. on my website if we need to grief and grieving. Um, when my best friend died now a decade and a half ago, um, man, the, the grief process is such a strange, weird thing. And you do have to now integrate this new normal into what you believe about God. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to, it's, it's like an addition on a house or something. Um, but grieving isn't something you get over. It's just something you get used to. 
And I think sometimes Christians get that really wrong too. Like if you're a good Christian, you'll get over this or you uh-huh. won't be feeling this pain or you won't, or you won't go a little bit crazy in the midst of your grief. Yeah. Um, yeah. You must not have faith if you're still grieving over it. And yeah. interesting. So I, I equate it as like losing an arm. I mean, if, if you were in an accident, you lost your left arm. You don't ever get over that. You, you eventually get used to it. The new normal, you learn to do all kinds of things with only one arm, I assume. But right. But doing it over it, there's never a day when you're like, okay, cool, my left arm's back. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, see, it's it's not, and this is the new normal. Yeah. And so, but when we say my pain and suffering brings it home, and now I have to live in a world in which things happen like. Yeah. Now put it in there. Um, and so, for example, you know, I, I referenced Bart Ehrman's book, God's Problem. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that that Bart Ehrman with his religious training, when his faith began to stumble, and I don't even know if he connected this, but was when his dad died. So his father died, and very soon after that, he begins to doubt a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that makes sense, that when someone close to you dies, and the new nor- you don't like the new normal, you're not in charge of the new normal. Who is in charge around here? Yeah. yeah. Well, God's in charge. Well, if he's in charge, and his, and his idea of running this establishment is like that, then I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And that makes that makes good sense. I don't think that's irrational. You you mentioned Lewis's. Yes. Books. So in the forties, nineteen forties, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain, which is more of a theological apologetics approach to like why is there evil and suffering. Yep. And he even covers like animal pain. Like he does all of this stuff, and it's really a thorough treatment. But after that, uh, and it's all part of his really amazing story of him, him meeting Joy Davidson and they get married, but then she gets cancer and she dies. So in yep. the, I think it was early sixties. After years of him being alone as yeah, a Yeah. Yeah. He got yeah. married late mm-hmm. in life and she died. And so he wrote another book on pain, which really wasn't a book, but it's called a grief observed. And he just is, was recording his honest thoughts and feelings. And you, sorry, you, you said it's not, it's not a like really a book. Well, is it just kind of like book? It's just chapter. Like each chapter is journal like entries. Kind of thought, yeah, more oh, okay. like journal entries. So it it turns into so many times. It's not that I'm doubting that God exists. It's the kind of God I believe in. Which his quote was, uh, he says, "Not that I am. I think in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about Him. Mm. The conclusion I dread is not so. There's no God after all, but." So this is what God's really like. There you go. Deceive yourself no longer. Yes. So and when we can't wrap our mind around how could a loving God who calls himself father, friend, I'm supposed to have this close relationship, heart-level relationship, why in the world would he do that if he's, in, if he's really in charge? So either he's not in charge or he's just not good. And either way, it's, it's not what I wanted to believe in. So that was, again, it's a, it's a really great read i was saying earlier it's, it's almost hard to read because you're mm. like are you gonna pull out of this like mm. he's just but it's 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 raw it's mm. real and so i think that's the level that that we're kind of talking about now there's the why would god allow evil and is he really in control and and the big argument against atheism or skepticism but then when you get down to the personal but my personal pain i don't how do you wrestle with that so right you mentioned before about the different yes type of uh, cups that you could throw reasons into. Yeah. Like this is other people's stupidity or bad choices, blah, blah, blah. 
or maybe it's mine, how, how do you as a therapist help someone or would you help someone walk through, okay, something really bad is happening. Right. I'm trying to figure out, is this God's disciplining me? Is this my own bad choice? Is this mm-hmm. other people? Is this, even is this karma? You know what I mean? Yeah, Whatever right, it is, right. how, do you, how do you help people think that through? Um, man, it, so the, my memory goes back to uh, my wife and I had some really good friends that I actually went to seminary with and she was getting her counseling degree. And at about the same time, we were struggling with, can we get pregnant and have kids? Mm. And then we got pregnant had a miscarriage, got pregnant, had a miscarriage, got pregnant, and then had our first son mm. in a period of about three or four years. Well, they went not pregnant, not pregnant, not pregnant, not pregnant for 10 years. Wow. And he was a pastor. She was a counselor. And, I mean, just neat, neat people. And they wrestled and wrestled, and we would meet with them and have tea and coffee, and we would pray through this and talk about it, and they were trying to decide – I mean, we really don't have the finances to try a lot of the other medical, especially not back then. You're talking 25 years ago. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then one day she calls us and says, we're pregnant. And we all rejoice and we pray. And six months later, she lost the baby. Wow. Or six weeks later, she lost the baby. Mm-hmm. And they called us and said, could you just come sit with us? Because I don't know what my faith is going to look like when I'm done grieving this. Yeah. And, and so we went and sat with them and just, again, precious people. And at one point, the husband, uh, husband and I were talking kind of off to the side. And I said, so what do you think? Do you think, you think maybe, maybe you're doubting that there is a God at all? And he actually, almost like quoting Lewis, like, oh, that would be easier mm-hmm. if I could just go that route. But I, I can't accept that as being accurate. Um, he said, he said, honestly, it isn't that I don't believe in God. It's that I'm just not on speaking terms with him right now. Huh. And, uh, is that a Southern phrase? Do other people, does that, is that a, around the world? Okay. Anyway, whatever that means, like I'm not talking to that, you know, son right. of a gun right now. Like yeah, that's yeah. the language that would be there. And, and so all what, what they needed to do was to go through the process spiritually and psychologically of grieving. I now, I live in a world where someone can wait 10 years to get pregnant, get pregnant, and then have the baby die in utero. And I, I believe in a God that will allow that to happen. And again, you know, he's a pastor, she's a therapist. They, you know, she's seen the darkest. I've had to do that so many times in my own life. I I live in a world where a man who is a pastor can abuse his two-year-old, sexually abuse his two-year-old. I live in a world where God allows that. And, and those are always hard to grieve the world that is and, and to be left with certain questions. Here's, here's the thing. So the, one of the questions was, there's a, there's a philosophical argument here. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to even read among philosophers that the problem of evil is not really that big a, a philosophical issue that much anymore. Philosophers don't wrestle with it because it's been answered. And that is the opponent would have to prove that God 100% does not have a morally appropriate reason to allow this suffering. And, and that's, that's what we were, that would be laid on the, I guess, on the atheist or the, or the non-believer side, is they have to prove absolutely nothing good can come from this. And the problem is our lives don't indicate that. Our own personal experiences, um, uh, you know, don't, don't show that. Our, our children, we take our children to the dentist, and they don't, they don't understand it. 
and yet it's they couldn't prove that there's no use for it. They don't understand the use for it, but they couldn't prove it. And so there's this philosophical kind of like, okay, well, good. The problem, the problem of evil and suffering is not a deal breaker at the intellectual, logical, philosophical level. And that offers me almost no comfort mm. when I suffer or when someone suffers. And so that's the, that's the emotional argument. Um, there's also the moral argument for, for suffering. And that's if you want to call God into judgment for why he doesn't end these types of sufferings, why mm-hmm. he does allow them. That's, um, and that's, that's actually saying there could be an argument for this. You're acknowledging there could be a worthwhile argument, and I don't know it, and I'd like to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, which there has to be a God in order for that to matter, but that's a, a separate yeah. conversation. But when it comes to the emotional part of this, it's all about grieving. This is where I am, and this is where I live, and this is, this is a consequence of what I believe. And that's so much of what this podcast is meant to be about, is how do I rebuild with that? Yeah. And, and the, the part of it is there is a trust factor in, um, actually I preached about it Sunday, that God has my best in mind, that he is, he is creating his best for me and for his creation, even in allowing these horrible things. I'm, I'm okay with not understanding that. And I've, it's not like I haven't faced it. Yeah. Um, and I think it can be faced, and I think it can be accepted. And I think, I think God is big enough to handle when we're ticked off. Uh-huh. I, mean, that's, I think that's one is a lot of people need to go toe-to-toe with God in that moment and tell him what they're thinking and express to him what's going on with them. In a weird way, I even tell people, sometimes you need to learn, you have to actually write a forgiveness letter to God. God, I forgive you for hurting me like this. Um, and that feels weird, as mm-hmm. if, who am I to forgive God? But, I mean, relationally speaking, of course it's appropriate for us to forgive God. It's it's like a nurse who sets a bone who says, I'm so sorry, this is going to really hurt. Yeah. And, and it's appropriate for you to say, I forgive you for really hurting me. In that case, I can maybe, if I'm aware medically, I can know them setting the bone is maybe saving a limb, but it still hurts, right? And I still can forgive them for hurting me. Um, and so I've had plenty of people work through: How angry are you at God? What is that anger about? How did He hurt you? What is His role in that? And then can you forgive Him for hurting you like yeah. that? So hopefully that's appropriate. I feel like David goes through that cycle several times in well, the Psalms. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> it's almost shocking sometimes if you're not used to communicating to God that way. Mm-hmm. And then you read some of these Psalms where it's like, where are you? How long? <laughs> yeah. All day long I've tried and you're... Mm. And then I like, I think it's Psalm 70 where he even wrestles with, I I almost slipped into this wrong way of thinking that I look at all of the godless people. Yeah. And they just have it all. Mm-hmm. They they can do whatever they want. They've got all the food they want. There's no accountability, the, all this stuff. And then he realizes, okay, but that, that was wrong. I see their end result. But it's so easy to look at your immediate circumstances. Right. And what he says in there, actually, he says, in vain, all in vain have I kept my heart pure. Like he's wrestling with, have I even been good for, for reason? no reason? Yep. Like what's the point? Like all those people living however they want really look happy. And here I am trying to live for the Lord, and it's just really, you know, bad. But I think, so I was going to mention that, about how the Psalms are so often like that, that they're very real about their emotions, and mm-hmm. they usually usually land back on, but this is what I know. But it, right. doesn't, it doesn't mean they're not suffering, but you've got 
the whole book of Job related to that. You've yep. got um, so many Psalms. And then we talked about this before, but that's essentially what what the cross was all about, that it was God mm. dealing with the problem of evil. And in one sense, you could go, well, if you want to talk about innocent suffering, Jesus knows a little bit about Yeah, He's yeah. the most innocent person in the world who suffered the greatest, you know, the wrath of God. But I like also to not think that even even though God allows this, it doesn't mean that so many like so many times uh, like physical therapists as they're working you through something will be like I'm sorry I'm sorry I remember yes. yeah. I think I think it was our eye doctor that my wife was having something done and he kept going I'm sorry and but he did it anyways yeah right so he's saying I'm sorry while he did it so it's not they're they're not in competition with each other like well if you were sorry you wouldn't it was like sorry this hurts you but I'm going to do it anyways because right. I love you but um and Second Corinthians one I like. How many times it mentions the word comfort? It says, oh, Blessed yeah. be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction yes. with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then he talks about sufferings and even goes on and says, we had been through so much affliction he says in verse eight, it was um, the burden was beyond our strength, and we despaired of life itself. Right. And so many times I read into it, it's like, oh, but you're Paul, you have great faith. But it's <laughs> yeah. Paul going, no, I thought my life is over, like I really had despaired. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then he says, indeed, we had felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Mm. So it isn't, and he says he delivered us. So it doesn't take away that here's exactly why I suffered or here's what I learned out right. of it. But ultimately he knows, I know what it did for sure is it made me not rely on myself mm-hmm. and what I could see and what I could do because yep. I was beyond my, it was beyond my strength. It was beyond um, what I thought I could bear. But there was yeah. a, the motive there was to move me towards deeper faith in this God yeah. of all comfort. But again, it's, it doesn't mean you're not And that's one of the buckets. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the buckets is... I, I need to learn something. I need to grow up. Yeah. And sometimes pain is what causes us to grow up. Yeah. Um, how many times do people leave a job they should have left a long time ago because of discomfort? Uh-huh. I mean, finally, it's like, okay, I just can't stand it anymore. Well, you should have left 10 years ago, but you didn't because it was comfortable and until it became uncomfortable. Or uh, we always joke about, uh, you know, I, I struggle with weight issues. And so, you know, my vision starts being weird, and I ask the doctor about it. He goes, oh, that's, you know, pre-diabetes setting in. So you're, 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 the sugar in your eye, <laughs> liquids in your eyes is throwing off your vision. I was like, okay, that's terrifying. Like, what, I don't know <laughs> right. what that means, but I, I – and so I'm like, he said, well, you're just going to have to lose some weight and get in better shape. And, but I still – like, by the way, I still have a hard time motivating myself. I have to yeah. put money on the line apparently to motivate me. Um, You'd say round is a shape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's wrong with exactly? Like, what's circle hater? Incidentally, so for the notes, uh, it's uh, it's Psalm seventy three is the one you're referencing. Oh, seventy three, uh, Chris. And by the way, that sounds like twice now. I've I've like, oh, it's this chapter. I looked it up. It's not like I knew. <laughs> well, I need to stop. And just throw no, it no. Out there. The difference is you you knew it was there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, and then so we're we're a good tag team. You you know what the you know where it says somewhere, and then I'll Google it. That's great. Um, <laughs> um, okay, wait. So you you mentioned, unless you want to talk through something else, you mentioned the problem of evil. And so mm-hmm. I just wanted to just kind of get an overview. When you say the problem of evil, because that will probably keep coming up. And if we, you know, we're hoping to talk with other people who bring this up, 
when yeah. you when you say the problem of evil, what do you mean, or what do other people mean? I guess. Mm-hmm. What we lined up before was the idea that an all powerful God could stop evil or okay. innocent suffering, and then gotcha. Okay, the that's what you're saying. Was the that problem an all loving God would, which is that's, that's the, the one, one that we were, yeah. suspect. Like, right. Okay. That's not necessarily okay. true. There, but but there's suffering and okay. evil. Therefore, there's not an all-loving, all-powerful God. But what we said before was the third leg of the stool was that God is all-knowing, right? and that's what we're dealing with right now. That's right. The, okay. So that's okay. why that, that makes second sense. argument falls apart when you say an all-loving God wouldn't allow suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it's a, at the general level, again, philosophically, at the general level, that's just a false premise. You cannot prove an all-loving God would not allow suffering because there's plenty of examples of a loving person causing suffering. Right, okay, and then that's what you're talking about, the dentist and all that, yes. Exactly. Now, that being said, that's the philosophical argument. When my friends come and say, you know, we waited 10 years, we got pregnant, and then the baby died, me going, well, you you can't prove philosophically God doesn't have a good morally positive read, is not offering any comfort. Right. Doesn't help. And so they probably already know that. And unless they want to talk about that, that's not like that's not that's not the answer to the emotional problem of suffering yes. and evil. It's that's a and by the way, I am in no way minimizing that. Right. Emotions are a powerful part of who we are. They're not a minimal part of who we are. Um, and so and so to say, how do we engage emotionally? Well, there's things we know to do to motivate ourselves to grieve well. Um, and one of my mis- uh, mentioned a second ago was the honesty with God. Uh, being honest with God, we don't ever have to back off on that. And again, if you if you wondered it, read the Psalms. A, the man after God's own heart. Um, I mean, he blasts God several times. Uh, I mean, all through the Psalms, like, mm. and it is it's rough language. It's rough talk from a shepherd king, and he's he has spent plenty of time alone, and he's watched his world fall apart. And sometimes it falls apart because he's an idiot, and sometimes it falls apart even when he's being totally appropriate. And sometimes it weirdly falls apart when David seems to think he's doing the right thing, and God's like, nope, that was the wrong thing. Now that you're going to – I mean, that's – the buckets of is God is God giving me a consequence directly from him? That is a possible bucket. Is it God's giving me consequences? Uh, God's allowing me to face consequences of somebody else's sin? Yeah, I mean, every child of divorce knows what that's like, and so you mm. pick pick every any one of those buckets, and and for some people, it's valuable to go. Okay, what's your part? What's somebody else's part? What's God's part? What can you learn from this? Um, can be valuable, but part of it just helping people recognize God. God's not afraid of your honesty, mm-hmm. um, and and you're not going to somehow burn bridges with Him that can't be recovered. There is no such thing with Him. Um, and even having a really good reason still doesn't change the fact that it's happening. It's, it's, like, yeah. like said, it doesn't help. Setting the the fact that someone's our our good friend of ours just went through. Uh, Kevin East just went through a year of chemo. Yeah, I mean it. It chemo is is like, hey, we're gonna almost kill you. Right. Mm. We're gonna, we're going to put you through tor- what would be torture under any other for a year. And by the way, come schedule and come back in another four weeks for us to do it again. Right. Mm. For six or eight sessions, and then and it may help you, it may not. It may help you, it may not. And so it's it again to say, yeah, there's a good reason for this, and it it's a nightmare mm. um, to live through it. And then so that's one. And then another one that's very important is our natural tendency is also to isolate when we're in pain. Mm. Um, 
And I don't, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what it is about us that the tendency is to isolate. I don't know if that's a, I know this will be a point of conversation, if that's a, a, an evolved trait or if it's a psychological trait, but it is mm-hmm. that, that tendency to say, you know, like a, a dog that gets hurt wants to go crawl in the corner and lick its wounds because it, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what all the motivation, but there's something in us that a lot of people want to do that is I'm going to cut ties, I'm going to back off, I'm going to isolate myself. But the problem is that's not healthy. It's not healthy for the dog or the human that what we actually need is care and comfort and protection and provision and people to wrap around us. But it is fascinating to watch us sometimes chase the very people off who are trying to love us, mm-hmm. how, how hard that can be. So being honest with God, um, sometimes being honest with ourselves, um, anger and uh, the anger and forgiveness that we need to give ourselves is a huge one. And then the anger and forgiveness of other people letting us down because um, mm. humans are frail and flawed. And you will learn about that when you suffer. And and the the ways that you wish people would help you and comfort you and push past your barriers and, and all that kind of stuff, and they don't, man, that can really, that can carry a lot of pain too. And so usually there's a whole series of, I need to be honest and open about the anger that I'm dealing with and the hurt I'm dealing with and the pain I'm dealing with. And then people are going to say and do dumb things in the midst of our grief. Mm-hmm. Y- y'all will appreciate, I actually have done counseling with people who, had like the death of a parent when they were a child. Yeah. And they are much more traumatized by what people said and did after the death of the parent than the death of the parent. So wow. that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> like, you know, I want to go off on, but I'm not going to, but that is very often, especially well-meaning Christians just need to close their mouths sometime. And well, I was going to say too, the way <clears throat> we always do put down Job's friends because their conclusion was wrong. <laughs> yeah. But their initial approach, if you read in so Job 2, which I'm confident now that it's Job 2, uh, <laughs> when they show up to comfort, it says they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. Yep. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they, they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. Yep. And then they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was very great. So their mistake was when they did open their mouth, <laughs> yep. their conclusion. But y- those are really great reminders of what to do with the, the, when someone is grieving. You don't always have to have an answer. I think we want to jump to this is the reason right? or just let God off the hook. Um, but I like what you said, Chris, about having to forgive others. And I, I remember you preaching on this. I don't know, maybe in the last year, but you define forgiveness mm-hmm. as like having to cancel a debt. Like that's yep. Were you unpack that because that's a great. I think I, the way you phrase it was so freeing in my mind. Like that's a great way to think about it. So again, this is a whole conversation that we won't go down. But the um, uh, there is an article on the on my personal webpage about this, um, and on Alethea's webpage about it. But um. Uh, I, I tell people when I, I think when I look at the Bible for the concept of forgiveness, it is always inextricably linked to debt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in fact, when you learn the, you know, I learned the, oh, yeah. the Lord's prayer as a kid in the Episcopal school and it has all the cool S's forgive us our trespasses as <laughs> we forgive those who trespass against us. I need the S filter on that for that. Yeah. yeah. Similes. Um, which I loved as a kid, but I don't know what it, I'm trespass doesn't mean like, <laughs> 
I walk. I, I didn't own any property, but I walked on everybody's <laughs> property. So it was like a good deal for me. Hey, you forgive me for walking on your property, and I'll forgive you for walking on mine. Anyway, but most modern translations have forgive us our debts because yes. that's the that's a good yeah. translation. And so, what what a debt is is in anything occur, incurred against us, mm-hmm. um, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, and of course financially, whatever. And so to forgive a debt is really nothing more than to say, I expect and require no payment on what you owe me. Mm-hmm. And so if I owned Colson $1,000 and he forgave me that debt, he would just be saying, I expect and require no payment. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't take away my moral obligation. If I decide to pay, and it's a, which is appropriate, if I decide it's the right thing to do, whatever, all that's good. But but that's all it means. to. It doesn't mean he has to loan me another $1,000. It, it doesn't mean that I, you know, he's like, well, now I've got to let him babysit my children. Yeah, we've got to be best him. friends now. We've got to be best buds. Like, no, there's still healthy boundaries to be put in place. And, I mean, I, I, you can forgive a, a family member who's an abuser, and, and which would be a lot because they've stolen a lot from you. And, and that's actually usually what I have people do is create a, a letter of debt. Right. Here's what you took from me. Here's what you stole from me. Um, and that's intense. That's some intense work. Um, yeah. And you get this thing done, big and small, and in the end, you essentially say, okay, so we unpack it, we spend hours doing it, and then you say, okay, we got to the end, and okay, so they owe you. There's a ledger, and there's this number that is an unpayable debt. Knowing how could anyone ever pay you back for being abusive, for example? Like, it's just not payable. So, um, as a young lady, uh, she was 12, um, of forgiving her father for abandoning the family, she heard last sentence uh, was she actually taught me a word. I had to go look it up. She said, I, you couldn't pay me back if you tried and spent the rest of your life. You should try, but that's no longer my problem. I forgive your debt and I absolve what you owe me. Mm. So I had to go look that up. 12 year old girl taught me a word. Absolve means to blot out. Mm. And so essentially that's the exact language. She got to the end of the ledger. There's a number there. If he spent the rest of his life trying to pay it, he would fail, which is what he should do, but that's between him and God, not between him and her anymore because she expects and requires no payment, and she has, like, just taking liquid paper, and that final number, she's blotting it out. That doesn't mean she trusts him. It doesn't mean they go, they're buddies. It doesn't Doesn't mean mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean it wasn't horrifically painful, and it doesn't mean that he won't continue to incur new debt against her. Um, it doesn't mean that it makes all the consequences of his sin go away. Like None of those are what Jesus, I think, is talking about when he talks about forgiveness. That's why it's so closely linked to debt. It is, it is, it is it just an ex, an, a, a statement, a new covenantal agreement. I expect and require no payment on the debt you owe me. Um, and there's also, for Christians, especially the whole model of purchasing plays into that. Like, I've yeah. been bought with a price. So if you, owe, if, I, if, you know, if you owe my company money and somebody buys my company— you don't make a check to me anymore. You check, right. make a check to them now. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is when we are purchased, lock, stock, and barrel by God, now any debts owed us are really actually owed him. They're now between that person and him. And uh, and it's no longer my job to require payment. And what's weird is how often we actually make ourselves pay for their debt. Whole other conversation. But I think very often when people face these moments, these crises, of suffering, especially that causes them to start deconstructing. One, they may need to deconstruct, like we've said over and over again, because they may have been trusting God for something he never promised, that he's, as C.S. Lewis said, I'm afraid 
there may be things about this God I no longer like, which is not required. Mm-hmm. I don't have to like everything about God. Right. Um, and then, uh, but then part of it is I may, I may be in a position to forgive him um, and to accept his forgiveness in the midst of that. And that's, those are tough. That's tough for anybody. Mm-hmm. The psychological challenges of pushing through that kind of stuff. And very often, I think for people, it and I don't. This is not meant to imply laziness. It's meant to imply difficulty. That they say, it's just, it's just easier. It's, it's an easier path to just walk away yep. than to reconstruct something new, uh, or to reconstruct something out of the rubble. But I like what you said yesterday that you would never go watch any of those remodeling shows if they ended with the demolishing <laughs> like, the demo move, phase. Move that bus, and there's just like. <laughs> There's just a knockdown <laughs> pile exactly. of rubble. It was like, yay, great episode. It's, <laughs> the exciting part is watching them what they do yes. after that. And so that's why deconstructing is always, okay, step one, but then what are you going to build? Those I feel like those shows, if though, if Jesus was alive now, he would use those shows as parables. <laughs> like, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like, you know, Rick and Joanna. And, and he would, it, wait, Chip. Chip yep. and Joanna. Yes. Sorry, sorry, Chip. Sorry, Chip. If you're <laughs> I'm listening. Sure you're listening. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but I actually caught a few seconds of one of their episodes the other yeah. day, and they're talking in a hallway, and he's like, it's all going to come down. She's going, what? And he's like, yeah, none of this. I, like, I, I, I thought this was a good deal. I thought we did it smart. The whole thing has to come down, and we have to start from scratch. And she's yeah. like, we're going to lose so much money. He goes, our new goal, lose less money than we think. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that is what it feels like. It feels like to deconstruct can feel exactly. You're looking around going, None of really none of this. I've right. got to start all over, and so sometimes it just feels easier just to like pfft, forget. Yeah, it. yeah, tough, but, and it can be scary. But again, for a lot of people, it's this is your faith becoming your faith because you had all these unquestioned answers, and it never really was your own. Mm. And it can be scary, and so it might be easier just to say, "Well, then I don't believe any of it." This this is part of why I went into therapy, guys. This is this actually is is because I felt like we have so much good theology and so much good Bible teaching and so much good of things. And I think what stymies people sometimes isn't the theological issues. It's the psychological ones. It's yeah. the state of our heart. Mm-hmm. And and those are in no way in contradiction with each other. So I I, I defy anybody who teaches that concept that but having but, but being in the in the world of addressing those things as yeah. a profession. Yeah. That makes a lot Learning of sense. Learning how to do that because what I saw people even 30, 40 years ago moving away from like the struggles they seem to have with God very often weren't really all that theological. Sometimes they are, and I'm, I'm not minimizing that. And sometimes theology helps us heal and rebuild. And it certainly gives us material to rebuild with. Good biblical theology built, gives us material that can last through the next storm that we hit. I know we'll come back to this time and time again because of how commonly connected this is. But I'm looking forward to us moving into because I think something may be valuable to people is to hear from us what holds us together in the storm. Yeah. So why why didn't I walk away? And by the way, my friend is still a pastor, I think. It was the last time I checked. And he got back on speaking terms with God at some point. I'm looking forward to getting to where we're talking about here's what holds us through the storm a little yeah. bit. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up.
trust God, search for answers.